Okay, punching isn't your thing, but that's okay. You're not that kind of fighter. What you're gonna do is stand there while your opponent gets exhausted from over-punching. Then I can just push him over. That's right, and if the ref's not looking, you can kick him a couple of times. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number 31 of the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Side Podcast Network. Myself, your host, Silas Martin, my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. And today we have a pretty tantalizing uh, UFC pay-per-view to discuss uh, with an absolutely insane title fight at the top of the card. A Glover Teixeira defending the light heavyweight title against Jerry Prohaska and there's whole bunch of other stuff to get into on this card. So let's just get straight into this main event. Glover Tashira, 42 years old, not only still doing the damn thing, he's the fucking champion. Somehow with this just incredibly dogged, determined game that occupies a really narrow lane that he somehow always gets to, even though he's constantly on the verge of being absolutely murdered. And he just uh, always is able to turn that into winning positions somehow. Like, going back to like his second fight in the UFC, 2012 with Fabio Maldonado, he, he, he got dropped in that fight and it, and it had to be an insane comeback. And he's fighting Jiri Prohaska, who is um, a fucking lunatic. Um, and so this stands to be an incredibly interesting matchup because Jira Prohaska um, is huge and durable and pushes an insane pace of just incredibly diverse and creative violence. Um, basically, he's read the Book of Five Rings. That sums up his entire fighting style. I don't really think I should have to say anything else. And he's just a, he's just a devastating finisher. He's incredibly good at knocking people out. Um, he you know he's a big puncher, but also just uh, leverages volume and being a big long guy, and he has great eyes, uh, and is just able to find really creative openings in insane in insane exchanges. He will just uh, always extend every exchange and just like never lose sight of trying to find life ending offense in every situation, but. He uh, is uh, addicted to being taken down. He loves it. And uh, he is constantly giving up wacky fucking positions in scrambles. So you, you have this incredibly violent, uh, devastating finisher versus uh, a very hittable old man who is constantly on the verge of being finished, but then uh, may well be able to have a significant wrestling success uh, if. Uh, Jiri isn't able to finish in those situations because Glover is just smothering on top. Like great passing, um, just grindy top pressure, always threatening submissions and uh, trying to force you to make decisions that, uh, that are going to end up worsening your position and uh, putting him closer towards his win condition. And that, that could work against Jiri Prasky. You got, you got taken down by Dominic Reyes. 
I don't know. What what do you think? What do you think about this one, Christian? Uh, I think that Jerry has every tool to make it like an incredibly easy fight. Traditionally, Glover doesn't really, and by traditionally, I mean like somewhat recently. He just he's been handling people that are bad finishers, but really powerful, like Tiago Santos and Jan Blachowicz. I would not consider good finishers. Like they finish a lot of people, but they're not like that. That's not the thing. They they normally just kind of put someone out when they finish them. Or will you know fuck you up in single moments over and over? They're not going to be able to stay on you the way that Jerry normally can. And Glover doesn't really like mobile, like volume guys. And Jerry's probably the best at being mobile in the division, and he throws more than anyone else at, at the top of the division. So I think so much of what Jerry does is just going to be poison for Glover. But that being said, uh, like you know, the Glover being able to take him down probably like almost every time he attempts a takedown in this fight is going to be rough for Jerry. But Jerry also has a lot of room to surprise us. It's been a, a long time since his last fight. He has more than enough time to have prepared for the fight, and he kind of knew who he was preparing for leading up to it for for a while. So, I don't know. I, I kind of just trust Jerry to, to have read the Book of Five Rings enough to know how to game plan around the matchup. So, I'm going to pick uh, Jerry by knockout in like the third I just think even though he's not the same type of hitter than Anthony Johnson is, uh, I, I don't think that necessarily matters because like Alexander Gustafson, he's honestly, Jerry and Gus have a lot of similarities, j- just like spiritually in, in the way that they, they kind of just will like box you up with tight shot selection uh, and then their footwork kind of falls apart a lot of the time whenever they're moving around a lot. But Jerry's a lot better about that. And though he has much worse first layer takedown defense, he is a much better scrambler and he does not give up at any point on the ground. And he, you know, it being hard to get Gus down was so much of why Glover had so much difficulty. But if he had gotten on top of him, I think he would have fucking killed Gus. And then instead he wasn't able to. So I like, I don't really see a reason that, uh, aside from like a, a nice left hook knockdown, which Glover could definitely pull off. Glover's definitely dangerous and live on the feet. But like I don't really see a way that he's gonna keep Jerry down because Jerry's just so active about scrambling up, and people that are also pretty bad takedown defenders have have like gotten up from Glover and just had to keep going through the attrition before he finally finished them. Like Tiago Santos was on the ground with Glover a lot of their fight. Anthony Smith was on the ground with Glover a lot of their fight, and you know Anthony Smith was getting the fuck beaten out of him, but he also had two rounds where he kind of easily jab and low kick Glover, so. I just think the difficulty that Glover's had on the feet with people that are just even a little bit mobile or just in theory are mobile like Anthony Smith. I, I think that's enough to make me pretty confident that Jerry's going to take him out on the feet over the course of like, I, I think before the fights through its middle, we're going to like know who's going to win. Definitely. If it hasn't already ended by then. Yeah. That is the thing about Glover being the comeback King is the, uh, sometimes you know, you have that fight with Tiago Santos where you're just getting uh, dropped literally every second that it's on the feet, but then uh, Tiago can't finish in the scrambles and ends up losing on the ground. Uh, but then sometimes you just have the uh, the Rumble Johnson fight where he just gets instantly fucking wiped out. Yeah, or the the reverse of that, which was the Gustafson fight where he just got tooled up for like four and a half rounds and then knocked out because he was just a lot foot slower. And couldn't handle it in the exchanges. Yeah. 
um, which is probably more the kind of archetype of Glover losing that the Jerry's game fits into. Even though genuinely, if if Glover gets on top, that could just be the entire round lost for Jerry. But like you said, Jerry just he doesn't give up. He never loses faith in his ability to fucking murder his opponent, no matter how badly the fight is. Like, everything that happens to him in the fight is part of the plan. Because also, like you say, Jerry does not have a great defense and got knocked the absolute fuck out by uh, King Mohammed Loal, um, just, like, running at him like a lunatic and got, like, slept by a big old right hand while he was mid-shift. Um, could happen. Not not saying it's going to, but like something, uh, something that we def a possibility that we definitely can't like discount completely. Yeah, and and I think that Jerry learning from his, his mistakes is because he really does learn from his mistakes. Like all of his losses marked kind of huge changes in the way that he approached fights. So I just trust Jerry. He seems like a like an intelligent fighter. Yeah, me too. All, all, like, all, like all of these things being said about why Glover is totally in this fight, it does seem like one of those things where eventually this shit just doesn't work anymore, and a huge muscle freak just sends you to the fucking glue factory. So, um, I am going to pick that. I'm going to pick Jury by knockout in the like the first two rounds. Like, like you see, he he wouldn't let us down, and he wouldn't let Sun Tzu down, and he wouldn't let. Musashi Sandown. Yeah, he he would not let Miyamoto Musashi uh like see him lose to someone that's just able to wrestle him. At this point, he he's, he's read the book too many times. Like I I kind of just don't see a way that uh I mean I can see a way. It's just I don't anticipate a way that Glover is going to be able to make it through exchanges with Jerry. And Jerry's just a lot faster and Jerry's very creative. And I think he's going to fluster Glover on the feet. And then it, I, I think I'm going to pick like third round finish for, for Jerry. Because I think it's going to be attrition. Like I don't think he, he has the power to just put out Glover in an exchange. I mean I think he does but I don't think it's likely he's going to do it. So I think it's more likely that Jerry's just going to kind of tool him up easily for two rounds. And then get a finish somewhere once Glover's diminished. And, you know, Jerry hits the body a lot. Okay, well, for the sake of variety, I'm just I'm going to pick Jerry to just uh, wipe Clover off of the face of the planet in the first round. With what, a flying knee? Uh, it could be a flying knee, a head kick. Up elbow. It could be a new strike that I've never even heard of. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Uh, he might knock him out with getting knocked out. Like, like in the Reyes fight, he got knocked out into winning a wrestling exchange. What if he gets knocked out on the feet into winning a striking exchange? Yeah, well, I yeah, I've never never before that fight had I seen someone pass guard by getting flash KO'd by an upkick. Yeah, that was some shit. Yeah, like what if he gets left hooked and then falls forward and accidentally headbutts Glover and knocks him out? Expect the unexpected when Jerry's fighting. <laughs> um, main event: Valentina Shevchenko. Defending her title for the, I don't even know how many times at this point. Uh, uh, Tyler Santos, uh, strong, fast, punch hard. Is that enough to defeat the uh, most complete human being in the UFC? Uh, I do not think so. I think that Val is 
going to pretty easily outclass Tyler Santos past the first like three minutes of the fight because you know Tyler does come out hot sometimes like like she'll she'll go out and try and fuck you up with like a pretty decent shot selection for power shots with her hands but that's kind of most of what she has she was getting tuned up on the feet against Joanne Wood for most of the round until she finished her or until she dropped her and then continued to start getting fucked up on the feet and then uh, but it, it was just just not enough because Jojo doesn't have like the the offensive dynamism to actually do anything. And then really just Tyler Santos's run has been super easy to the title shot. She's, she's fought like four people that are just terrible athletes, even by divisional standards. They're good fighters, definitely like some of the more skilled fighters in the division, but they're also less skilled than Valentina, probably in like every regard and also smaller and weaker. And, and slower and less good chins and less intelligent as, as like fighters, maybe as people, who knows? And couldn't run a Fortune 500 company. Yeah, I, I, I really just don't see a way that uh, Valentina doesn't easily win. But, you know, hopefully Tyler can pull something out of her ass. Maybe she gets taken down. I think that's basically uh, Tyler Santos's path to victory. Val, uh, Lost a scramble and got taken down against Jennifer Meyer and then spent the rest of the round on her back. <clears throat> Jennifer Meyer didn't really get anything done and then lost the rest of that fight like very clearly. And Tyler Santos, yeah, she hits hard, but Valentina, like, she's not like a defensive savant in the pocket or anything, but she has really solid footwork and is really responsible with her positioning. And it's really hard to close distance on her because she's really fast and has just a, a set of like just baked in hair trigger counters uh, for people who are trying to get in on her a bit recklessly. You know, she can she can slip and throw a straight punch counter. She can counter with kicks, and she can counter with takedowns. She can catch kicks and convert them into trips, and then also just like spend entire rounds on top. Um, the thing is, is, is that she doesn't really like to lead a lot, but I don't think Tyler Santos is going to be like working behind feints and throwaways to draw out Val's somewhat uh, like rote baked in reactions to be able to capitalize on, on them to then land big counters. Uh, because, like you say, Tyler Santos against Joanne Wood mostly just kind of followed her around, getting kicked up, and then just waited for JoJo to put herself out of position and punched her really fucking hard. And that's not going to work against Valentina Shevchenko. Yeah, um, I, I mean, it might. She feel like she just have to catch her with some wacky shit, which you know, anything could happen. Yeah, I have a question, and I think we can skip our official picks for this fight after answering this question. Can you name a single thing that Tyler Santos has an advantage over Valen for the matchup? Like, physically or skill set-wise? Because I can't. Well, no. I, I can't think of a single advantage she has. In theory, she might be at strength parity, or maybe even a little bit stronger. She might be ever so slightly faster, but I don't think so. Not from what I've seen. I think she might be a harder puncher in single shots, maybe. Maybe, but then you look at the kicks and Val like dominates her in the kick power, like almost definitely. And then 
also Val's a better puncher and a lot cleaner about it and it probably isn't isn't going to be getting hit much yeah I'd, I'd have to really any advantage that tyler could have i think i would have to see it against valentina to believe it because in like watching tape i just didn't really see anything that tyler had for val and i was less dismissive of like lauren murphy's chances just to just to be polite but this one's like it's, it's a good athlete that is is going to be a good fighter in the division for a while i think this is the type of fighter that valentina is just going to like like not really take her time with she i mean she she's always patient and she's also like normally kind of boring to watch but she's she's not going to just like sit around and lose a round to someone that's this athletic i think she's going to try harder so i think that's even worse for tyler santos yeah, I'm hoping Tyler might be able to get a decent fight out of Val uh, just because she is one of the best athletes in the division and she's aggressive and will be able to hang on the ground with Val if not win there for some stretches of the fight. So like, like Val might actually have to have a kind of aggressive striking performance. That'd be cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is really where we're at with Val's championship reign at this point, is that um, like, I'm just hoping her opponents can bring the kind of fight to her where she has no choice but to knock them out in a cool way. So yeah, I'm, I'm picking Valentina Shevchenko to win basically any way that she wants to. Yeah, just for like the, you know, like when you play pool, you get like it's cooler if you call exactly what you're about to land i think i'm just gonna just gonna throw some out there i think valentina's gonna knock her out with like an elbow even though it's always my pick i don't know you do love elbow picks it's because elbows are really good and people don't use them enough and every time someone does use them they win with them yeah but that's why you shouldn't you you should never assume that someone's gonna do it also i'm not sure i've ever seen valentina throw an elbow outside of a clinch break no, me neither. Okay, well, if we're doing that, then um, I am going to pick Val by spinning back kick to the body. Fuck yeah. Great choice. But both of those things would be really cool, so we should not expect that. Yeah, I think it's more likely a crucifix TKO. It probably. It's, it's, the, it's a fucking stop hitting yourself TKO. Yeah, maybe an RNC. How controversial of, of me to say RNC, the most common submission in the sport. Yeah, and then we got Whaley versus Joanna. The rematch, three rounds this time. For some reason, um, I don't know why a beloved all-time great fight gets a rematch and this time is over three rounds. I don't know if they just didn't want to have two women's MMA five-rounders next to each other, but I don't know why they've done it before. Um, and yeah, this, this is a kind of weird one to approach just because... It's a rematch of a fight that was like really close, and it seems like either fighter would have to make like like one or two not particularly drastic adjustments to like make the fight a lot easier for them. But I don't know if I necessarily trust either of them to like key into those adjustments. I don't know what do you think. I think the first fight was fantastic, but with the caveat that if either of them had tightened up their left hook mechanics in training camp, they would have gotten a knockout in the first round, guaranteed. Like, they, they both have just really bad punch mechanics. That's why they were able to have such long exchanges with each other where they weren't really getting much done because Joanna has a good chin, and if she sees a shot coming, she's not going to get hurt by it or, or not going to get knocked down by it. And 
uh, Whaley kind of the same. Like she's going to keep her base under her normally. She's not going to like get blown out just by a single shot unless you really trick her. And Rose tricked both of them into finishing them in the first round. And then the next fight couldn't trick them and then couldn't finish them. So that's like, I kind of think that's just the story of the fight is if either of them cleans up their mechanics a little bit and finds a way to surprise the other one once, they'll probably win. Maybe not by finish, but, you know, just take over the momentum. Like if Joanna hurts Whaley really badly, I don't think Whaley's going to be able to come back from it. And if Whaley hurts Joanna really badly, I think she's going to finish her. So I, I, I'm very excited for it. I think it being three rounds definitely favors Whaley because Whaley had great cardio in the in their first fight, like which surprised a lot of people because people were expecting her to just gas if it, the fight went past the second. But she handled herself really well over five, so I think just being able to go full blast for three rounds is going to be really useful for her. And Yoana normally wins by kind of just like dicing people th- that she's better than, or like she she gets hurt a good bit. Like she got hurt by uh, Carolina. Uh, if I remember correctly, she uh, did she get hurt by Andrade? Oh, I don't think so. Maybe not. She kind of easily won the the fight the whole time. If it's that archetype of of a uh, Joanna win, but like Joanna can can get clipped, and the the more insulation someone has round wise to to not be able to just get fucked up in the next three rounds, the the better for her opponents. So Whaley being just the power athlete out of the two i think it being three rounds favors her quite a bit but that being said i could also see yoana just being the more adaptable fighter or is not necessarily more adaptable but smarter adaptations because whaley kind of changed a lot of her approach in preparation for rose but it was dumb and wrong and she should not have changed it in the way she did because it did not lead to a winning strategy and it kind of in theory didn't even lead to a winning strategy it was just very strange brain thinking so for this one, if she's like, oh, I'll just leg kick and wrestle, like leg kick and wrestling, Joanna is the worst way to try and beat her. So probably just a bit of an overreaction to getting instantly wiped out in the first fight. An overreaction that led to her losing a more tepid fight, uh, but like constantly rather than actually having a chance to win. Because like really her only chance to win was if Rose was just just didn't try to fight back. Because if, if your only game plan is to just like low kick and wrestle, which it was her game plan going into that fight, it was very well documented because um, she was training with Cejudo. But I, like, I think Cejudo is a better game planner than that fight would lead most people to believe. It's just like, I don't know. I, I have to see Whaley in a fight after that to, to really know how to assess it because there's a lot of intangibles going into this fight. Definitely. Joanna has not fought since this first fight, which was, what, like over two years ago? Is that true? Did she not fight Tisha Torres? Damn, you're right. Damn, Tisha Torres' fight was so much longer ago than I thought it was. Yeah, I think in terms of adjustments for both of them, the first fight was a very whoever-go-forward-win fight. Just because, like, Whaley's a good counterpuncher, but she's better as an aggressive counterpuncher. Like, she can find some good shots off of the back foot, but, like, most people aren't just going to, like, walk into the same right hand three times in a row like Jessica Andrade did. And uh, Joanna's kind of, like, grown more into an outfighter as her career's developed 
but um, she was just getting the better end of the exchanges whenever she could like push Whaley back and force her to throw and then just like land a clean counter combination and then kind of reset. Um, but like you say, whenever exchanges went deep, I mean, Joanna's mechanics just completely fall apart when she really starts to put exchanges together and Zhang would just kind of crack her with the left hook. Even though Zhang also has issues with her left hook, she's just naturally a bigger puncher and is is better with that punch specifically uh, than Joanna. So I was getting the better of exchanges whenever they were were extending and would would start trading left hooks. Um, But whenever Joanna was kind of just like... uh, like pushing Zhang back and countering her with kicks. Um, she was having a lot of success. And whenever Whaley pushed her back, uh, she was kind of just like, kind of just like letting herself get kicked up a good bit and not not doing as well with like capitalizing on Whaley, putting herself out of position for doing that and, and firing back. So um, I don't really know how to make a pick in this fight. Because, like you said, there's so like there's just not much data on either of them. Uh, being that Whaley has fought twice since then, they were both against Rose Nami Yunez. One of them she got knocked out in a minute, and then in the second one had a like a, a career worst performance that she still almost won, and a weird outlier of a performance, which was both, as we said, an overreaction to the first fight and. Um, uh, Rose Namajunas's newfound uh, championship mentality, shall we say? Um, and yeah, a lot of people still thought that Whaley Zhang won won that fight. And I just so and of course you so none of that's really instructive for this rematch. And of course, Joanna hasn't fought since then. Yeah, and Joanna is about as different of a matchup as you can get from Rose. Like, I mean, I guess they're both generally strikers, but the way that you handle them and the grappling is so much different. And like, if Whaley plans on wrestling Yuana, that's a fucking awful idea. She She's going to get outclassed if she tries oh, to wrestle with Yuana. yeah. It's not going not gonna to happen. I mean, it's not like Yuana's just this insane, like, power wrestler who's just going to reverse and fuck her up, but she's just not going to get taken down and then probably going to have a lot of opportunities to fuck up Whaley as Whaley enters. And then the the more that your grappling success isn't working, the less like safe you're gonna be on the feet against Joanna because Joanna is gonna build her confidence if she's just able to keep defending takedowns. Yeah, and particularly at this point in her career, Joanna, like her shot selection doesn't get dissuaded by a takedown threat. Yeah, and it it really hasn't since the Asparza fight. I don't think. No, there was like a there, there was like an adjustment period when she first came over to MMA. Um, but for, for a good while now, she's just um, been confident in her technical base as a wrestler that she can just fight the way she fights the rest of the time and not have to worry about that when she's just striking. Yeah. So uh, I guess I'm going to pick Zhang just because it's three rounds and uh, Yuan has been out for a while and has just like had the uh, longer, more arduous career. And that's kind of it. That's, that's all I have to go on. The first fight was so close. And either either could come in with some stuff to, to make it a winning fight. But I, 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 don't, know, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, this isn't going to inform my pick much, but it's a Fight Site Podcast Network podcast, so we have to 
do like the this person's lost twice in a row so they're shot or this person's like past 33 so they're shot so i just gotta mention maybe Ioana's gonna fall off cliff she hasn't fought in a couple years uh she looked really good in her last fight but it was also looking really good in the loss so you gotta take it with a grain of salt and then whaley has lost two fights in a row the last of which she looked like she doesn't have direction as a fighter and she's just way too willing to change up her style to try and beat a matchup, even if it's not the correct changes to make. Because it wasn't her fighting against type in like an intelligent way. It was her fighting against type as a reaction to losing really quickly, which shows uh, like a bit of uh, like judgment issues, I think. And judgment issues can be a huge fucking issue in combat sports. So yeah, because because like uh, from from what from the brief bit of tape that we got on it, there wasn't anything wrong with the way that she approached Rose Namajunas the first time. She just got knocked out like as a fight. Yeah, sometimes that happens. She she just thought that a, a head kick was a low kick and pulled her leg out of the way and then ate a kick on the chin where she was not like her feet weren't under her. Yeah, that happened to like Giorgio Petrosian last year. Like it'd be like that. Yeah, it's just it's just a way to lose. Like sometimes the best way to fight a fight is to be like, oh, well, I got knocked out. I'll just fight the exact same way I intended to fight last fight because I didn't get an opportunity to actually do my game plan. Maybe my game plan worked. I just got fucked up by their sick single strategic read or tactical read. So it, it's a weird fight to pick. I think I'm gonna pick Whaley by decision just because it's like if it's a three round fight, you're gonna pick the person with worse cardio normally. <laughs> Unless it, if it's championship fighters, like they're, they're both five round fighters at this point, but I think that Whaley just has more to, to give in a three round fight than Joanna. Okay. And then so <clears throat> moving on, we got a fun matchup in the flyweight division between Hegerio Bontarine and Manal Cape. Um, and I can't escape the feeling that Hegerio Bontarine is going to be getting extremely knocked out. Yeah, is that just a is that just a chud pick? Um, no, I think I'm gonna pick uh, Manel Cap by saying he's going to knock him out with a flying knee where he jumps from one side of the octagon to the other and does not slow down at all. It just kind of breaks the laws of physics and and like flies across the cage. And and with the caveat that I don't know, uh, Bontarine's like. He's pretty tough, and he tries his best, so I think he could make it a really rough fight and then maybe kind of wear on cop over the, the course of the fight and get a decision. But I don't know. I think there's a possibility it's a split decision just where, like, one guy gets hurt in a round and the judges kind of don't know what to do there. Yeah, I could also see it uh, being, like, really kind of boring just because these are both guys who will wait for counter opportunities. But uh, Manal Cape is just so much faster and... Like more creative about finding those counter openings, and Hegerio Bonterine is—he's kind of a horse for one twenty-five. Like he's—he's he, like a squat, powerful dude. He could have—he could have some wrestling success against Manel Cape, but <clears throat> um, just closing the distance against Manel Cape to even get in on a wrestling entry entry seems like an incredibly dangerous proposition, and. Uh, waiting on counter opportunities against a like faster, more seasoned counter puncher also just doesn't uh, it, like that. Just, just everything seems to point toward Bontarine just getting knocked out 
with uh, uh, flying me from 17 feet away, right? Like he, because he's kind of like a not quite as good version of uh, Alessandro Pantoja, who beat Manal Cape in his UFC debut. But even Manal Cape being like a former Ryzen champion and like, you know, a, a complete high level fighter. That's still just a it's a hard matchup to come into the UFC with, and he did okay, and just like I think he's realized he he can't fight at the same pace that he did in Ryzen, and you know Pantoja just also like has reach and in, and in, and an insane chin, which Bonterine doesn't, and was kind of just happy to like cruise to a mid pace victory decided by a few body kicks against Manelke. I don't really think Bonterine can do that. Yeah, just like looking at the people that Kaf has lost to, like there's not that much overlap in like in like style of fighter. So Bontarine would be the first guy that's like a short wrestly guy that that actually wins by short wrestly guy stuff. He got taken down and submitted by Kyoji Horiguchi. That's fair. So there's that. But Kyoji Horiguchi five years ago. Yeah, and also Kyoji Horiguchi is very fast as well. Yeah. And like he at the time people were thinking he might be pound for pound like top 8. Yeah, which they were wrong, but point being just still like he, he can bridge the gap into a wrestling entry, entry against Manel Cape in a way that is like less likely to just get him absolutely fucking iced on the way in compared to Jerry Bonterine. Yeah, so uh are we both picking uh caught by first round finish? Yeah, we both picking him by uh, first round finish by flying me from really far away. I think so. <laughs> okay, let's go. Unanimous on unanimous on all the picks so far. We're definitely going to be wrong about something. Uh, we got Jack Dylan Madalena versus Ramazan Amiv. Amiv, a, a massive step up from the like four and O guy that Madalena made his UFC debut against on short notice. So take that as you will i think madalena has everything in in his skill set to be able to make it a not easy fight but i think it's very winnable for him i I think it's a good test because amiv is really good at grappling like he's definitely competent at uh at like finishing people especially in ways that madalena has traditionally and i say traditionally because he like lost his first two fights or something by by being fucked up on the ground so you know, Amiv definitely has that route to victory. He could just RNC him in the first round, but Madalena has shown so much improvement since then. I feel like it would be a little dismissive to just say, oh, well, Amiv has had success as a sprint grappler in his early career, and Madalena has had to, uh, like, change his style to, like, evolve past just getting fucked up in the first round. So I'll pick the guy that, that has won that way, but you can also just then look at Amiv's record and see that he has a lot of decisions and in his recent fights and kind of just can't finish people that are at the top level. So I think Madalena fits that. He, he definitely fits that archetype. He's a, he's a top-level fighter. I think he's going to be good at welterweight for a long time. So I think he has the every tool that Danny Roberts had to, to beat him up, but also just more power and tighter shot selection, better mechanics. I think Jack Della Madalena is going to knock him out in the second round. But I also think Madeleine is going to get his nose busted up, as is tradition. Yeah, I think uh, Della Madeleine 
like you say, it was literally his first two fights that he lost that way and has since then built himself around just being a really, really sharp, classy boxer who was able to impose that game against people who were, who were trying to out-wrestle him. It was funny that he actually faced a significantly higher level of competition in his contender series fight than he did in his actual UFC debut, in which he fought Ang Lusa, uh, an athletic, well-rounded uh, Henry Hooft fighter who gave him everything he had and didn't make it easy for Della Maddalena. And Della Maddalena handled him in every phase and showed everything that makes him so good. And yeah, um, this is going to be a good test of him because Amayev is a solid grappler. And again, it's just going to be, it's going to be more instructive for showing Della Maddalena uh, really have to impose his game against someone who just wants to do that to him. Um, I think he's just too good at this point. And that's it. Yeah, I think it would be a very unceremonious way to lose his like huge winning streak. And he's like a 25-year-old prospect that has good physicality for the division. Seems to be very smart and composed. His last opponent was like not a can. He was just very inexperienced. He seemed like a good fighter. He, he had ideas on how to win. And Madeline just kind of blew through him. So that's always reassuring to see. So I... Yeah, God just shouldn't have been there, and uh, and he made it look like that. Yeah, and it, it was both of their debuts, so you know, it, very impressive that Madalena had like such a cultured approach in his first UFC fight. A lot of guys would have panicked and just thought, "Oh, I'll just go out and blow the guy out in the first two minutes," but instead he just waited and knocked him out in like the last three minutes of the round. He he was patient and and still got a first round finish. Brendan Allen is fighting Jacob Malcolm. Uh, I mean, Jacob Malcolm uh, needs to be able to, to out-wrestle his opponents. He's probably not going to be able to do that. I'm, I think pretty confidently say he's not going to be able to do that against Brendan Allen. And uh, Brendan Allen is going to outstrike him. Yeah, I think that Malcolm's just like too small. I, I, like, I, don't, I don't really think... He, I, I, of course, the skill set issues, but him being smaller makes me think he's going to kind of get dumpstered. So I, I'm going to pick Brendan Allen by, like, I'm going to give him a, you know what, fuck it, a knockout with a head kick in, like, the, the second. Nice. Sung Woo Choi fighting Joshua Kulabau. Uh, kind of fitting. Like, it, it's about the level that Sung Woo Choi should be fighting at right now after his recent kind of string of fights. I don't really have much analysis to say pre-fight, but... Yeah, after people thought he was the next super prospect at featherweight and uh, ran into a pretty hard prospect loss against Alex Caceres. Well, you know, he still looked good and was just kind of out-experienced. Um, yeah, I agree. Seems like a pretty solid kind of just uh, just level check. Not a whole bunch to say about the fight itself. It's kind of kind of most of the fights that there really is to get into, to be fair. Yeah, um, Machete is fighting Steve Garcia, and Steve Garcia, is, some may remember, he's the guy that, in my opinion, won three rounds against Luis Pena with exclusively overcuts with his back taken. He, he won three rounds while having his back taken for about 14 minutes of the fight. And then in the fifth round, or the third round, if you haven't seen that fight, just watch. Steve Garcia faints like he he like not faints as in like pretends to throw a strike. He faints as in like he passes out momentarily at the beginning of the round out of fear of getting his back taken and then proceeds to win the round with overcuts. 
So that guy's a warrior. And then his last fight, he got like axe kicked, knocked down, and was just fine. He was like, eh, fuck it, I'm, I'm a warrior. And then just came out and won anyways. So he's getting counted out in this fight, I'm sure. But I am never... Never count out Steve Garcia. I am literally never going to pick against Steve Garcia ever again. Or not even again, just never. Because that was such a funny performance for the first fight I ever saw from him. So not really analysis, but, you know, next week, if, if something changes, we'll, we'll mention it. Yeah. Andre Fialgo is back against Jake Matthews. It's back already. I'm incredibly active uh, in the UFC, which I guess is a great career management to, you know, come in on a short notice fight against a really tough opponent in uh, Michelle Pereira. And then, you know, he lost that fight because Michelle Pereira is um, the classiest outfighter in MMA today. Um, and uh, since then, he's just um, been say- staying super active and just uh, knocking out a bunch of outmatched opposition. So that's cool. He's fighting Jake Matthews, who might out-wrestle him. Um, not a whole bunch of tape, like recent tape on uh, Andre Fialio as an anti-wrestler. Uh, but I'm just gonna pick him to knock out Jake Matthews. Why not? Yeah, I'm gonna. I mean, I'd pick a lot of people over Jake Matthews because he just is very inconsistent. And even though he has the tools to make certain fights really easy, he just doesn't. And he normally gets fucked up by people that are just insistent and aggressive. Because I, I, I kind of just don't think Jake Matthews has like the type of fight in him that that leads him to to win matchups like this. So I think Fialio is is going to knock him out in the second. But Matthews also he's he's like very consistent whenever he is on top of someone. So though he he's willing to to have like the the Sean Brady fight where he can get to a third round with Sean Brady, he ultimately lost it and and kind of didn't do much before. And then right before that, he he decisioned Diego Sanchez very lukewarm, in like in a very lukewarm way, which is not impressive. It's like about as embarrassing of a win as you can have in the last four years in like top level MMA or like upper level MMA. So yeah, I, I'm just not gonna I'm just not gonna trust Jake Matthews. And Andre Fialio is the most consistent guy this year to be fighting. He's, he's this is his fourth fight this year. And he does pressure and punches hard. In every single matchup that he's had, you could just like look at the matchup and guess who would win based on like pre-fight analysis and, and nothing really other than that has has happened in his fights like before before the the Pereira fight we were like oh yeah Pereira just does straights and, and front kicks and it's probably gonna get pressure to the fence and then that happened and then Michelle Pereira easily won and then in his next two fights he knocks him out in the first round because neither guy could handle him on the feet because there, there was really no reason to expect they would be able to handle someone that's just gonna pressure and throw like power hooks Okay, I think that's the card. Yeah, there, there's three other fights in the card, but none are particularly interesting, but there's potential for other shit to happen, like uh, Batgirl Dana versus Kyung Ho Kang, or Kyung Ho, yeah, Kyung Ho Kang. That could be a good fight, but uh, not that much to say about it pre-fight. I'm going to say uh, Jocelyn Edwards versus Mar- Mar- Ramona Pasquale is probably not going to be a very good fight. Yeah, that's that's like the most likely to be a bad fight on the card. It's understandable. That's the first fight of the night. But Silvana uh, Gomez Juarez versus Naliang, that could be interesting. Who knows? We'll see. Who could be interesting? What? 
What are we, fucking analysts? Don't ask us. Yeah, don't, well, how would we know? Okay, well, yep, that's the card. Um, as always, if you enjoyed this content and all the other great stuff the Fight Site puts out, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where a pledge of just $3 gains access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical fight content. And a pledge of $5 gains access to a Discord server where we have a great community full of cool fight fans from a huge variety of different backgrounds where we always have interesting discussions, get together and watch fights. We're very active in all the text chats and voice chats and stuff. So come hang out, support the fight site. This has been the Forbidden Technique podcast. You can catch us next week where we're going to be recapping all the action from UFC 275 as well as previewing next week's UFC Fight Night card headlined by a featherweight top contenders match between Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett stands to be an absolute banger look forward to it we'll see you guys then peace later